Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Coach and the Culture podcast. It is so great to have you with us. Those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on uh, Stitcher, on iTunes, on Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Coach in the Culture. I am Coach Frank, and I am joined as always by my son, the owner of Yes Trees, co-host of the Coach in the Culture podcast, Lance Gardner. Say what's up, Lance. Lance is not there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm here now. <laughs> hey, there he is. There he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I said, "What's up?" You know, we're doing this via via uh, Zoom right now. We're not in the studio. So when you say I'm not there, you know, they might be thinking, "What was you talking about?" He's not there. Well, that's what we mean. I'm not there. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he's he's visible but invisible, <laughs> right? <laughs> and of course, we got none other than the super producer himself, Lloyd Leon Cook. What's up, Cool? What's up, man? What's going on? Hey, man, I know you were just ecstatic watching that super exciting Vikings game. <laughs> yeah. All the points that were scored, it was an amazing up and down the field, offensive juggernaut performance of two teams, <laughs> finishing with a whopping final score of three to nothing. I know, Coop, you was geeked with every score. Man, they killed my fantasy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the Vikings game night might not have been entertaining for him, but he did go to the Wolves on Wednesday, so that was probably a lot better. Yeah, that was, that was a good time. That was a good time. The environment, like, energy is crazy, bro. Yeah. I mean, he sees uh, stars in the making, man. It's, it was great. Yeah, we talked about it last week. I think it was one of our hope it never ends was the vibe in the Target Center. And before we get to talking about the Wolves, yo, I got to give a shout out to my boy C.J. Armstrong Jr. at Richfield High. We had our first two games last week. I talked to her this past week. I talked about it, how we were uh, kicking the season off. And uh, he went and broke the school single game scoring record with 47 points. There's some, there's some controversy as to whether he scored 47, 49, 50, but 47 points is the official tally that we had. Um, uh, uh, the huddle official score, I think, had him for 50. And uh, it didn't matter because that record stood for a whole uh, four days. And he turns around and goes head to head with Tamron Ferguson, who I think right now is the number five scorer in the state. Uh, CJ's number six scorer in the state, and he drops fifty-one on St. Cloud Tech on Saturday night. Um, so yeah, that record stood for a whole four days. And now here's the thing: this is why I got to shout him out. He's the number six scorer in the state, but every person in the top five ahead of him has played three games. He's only played two. Mm -hmm. That boy balling. Yeah, sounds like it. Yes. And and coach and, and Lance, you know that I am the defense coach. You know how I am about defense. You know I'm loving this wolf season because defense, defense, defense. I'm crazy about defense. Man, we went out there locked up Saturday night, bro. Man, it was it was it was such a thing of beauty. It was such a joy. It was that moment we talked about last week where the players are getting geeked off of watching what their defense is creating from mm -hmm. the opponent. Oh man, it was like, look, if we can bottle that. If we can bottle that, we're gonna have we're gonna cause some problems in three A this year. If we get if we can bottle that, we can't count on CJ scoring, you know, dang near fifty or fifty plus every night. But what you can count on every night 
is bringing that defense. And uh, uh-huh. so, yeah, I'm going to go geeked about our squad starting off 2-0. and I had to give them a shout-out, man, before we <laughs> got to started talking about our Wolves. Um, I was I was just so proud about our defense on Saturday, man. I'm still beaming about it. You should probably yeah. know. I may or may not send him this podcast just so he can hear you say that you can't count on him scoring 45 every night. <laughs> no, no challenge, no challenge. <laughs> He's motivated plenty enough to put the ball in the hole. We don't need to challenge him. We do, we do need him to drop some dimes. <laughs> but he had dang near triple double with that fifty on Saturday, man. I'm pretty sure he made it at or close to double figures in rebounds, and I'm not sure where he was at in assists. But he was a one man wrecking crew out there, man. Also, oh, it was beautiful. And uh, speaking of one man wrecking crew. I know, Lance, you got us on the slate to talk about that one-man wrecking crew that's man in the middle for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, I, I do. He is definitely on our, our talking point list here, and I'll actually run through what we are going to talk about tonight just so the listeners can kind of have an idea of where we're going. Break it down. Uh, um, we're going to start with the Spurs and the Grizzlies, last two games that the Wolves pulled out, pulled out W's in. Um, we're also going to talk about Ant's return. Um, and alongside of that, we're going to be talking about, like you just said, Rudy Gobert's dominance over those last two games. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned that uh, Alex Rodriguez, I felt, brought some energy and kind of a, a new outlook on things when he ended up purchasing the Timberwolves. And I finally got a chance to go back and listen to some of his interviews. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what I heard from him and what, what I took away and um, kind of related to where they are today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the in-season tournament that the Lakers just won uh, last night and kind of what that looked like overall for the NBA. Um, and then after that, we've been talking about this 16-game stretch that starts tomorrow um, against the Pelicans um, and really kind of dissect what that means for the Timberwolves and what, what that looks like and what we, uh, you know, what we kind of expect or would like to see um, at the end of this stretch. And then lastly, we will end it with our um, bit of concerning trends and hope it never ends um, that we caught back up on last week. So we'll go over what we talked about last week and close it out um, and get prepared for uh, this 16 game stretch that the Wolves have. That's really going to be a tell about what this season is going to look like um, as it gets further into the into the gauntlet. Yeah, and you know it's funny because you know you know me, you know I'm all over Twitter all the time, Timberwolves Twitter at least, because uh, that's where so much of the conversation centered around the Wolves happens. Um, I'm actually working with um, a gentleman, Jonah, on Twitter. We've been talking back and forth. He does a lot of the um, posting videos and video breakdowns on Twitter, um, and and he really does an excellent job of picking videos that are um relevant and and you know really kind of showcasing what the wolves are or aren't doing and so um i definitely want to uh try to get him he lives out of town i want to try to get him as a guest uh when he comes into town for the holiday break whether we do it over the zoom or whether we actually have him come on down to the dream shop and uh, try to work it out where we can set up some of his video clips and talk to a little bit, talk to him a little bit about why he started doing this. Um, I think he does some writing, some freelance writing for zone coverage as well. So we're going to, I like to try to set it up to talk to him and go over some video together and talk mm-hmm. about what he's seeing. And then, you know, break down what I'm seeing from a coach's perspective. I think that would be a cool addition to one of our podcasts 
Um, and so I'm working with him on that. But yeah, man, uh, the reason I brought it up is because the you know ever since really going into the uh, game against Memphis, all of a sudden Twitter is you know blowing up with conversation about this 16 game stretch, and I just had to chuckle because I'm like, we've been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like we've been on top of that, you know, and uh, and so for the listeners again, just you know, one more reason to uh, tune into the Coach and the Culture podcast. Uh, hopefully, we have our own lane and do it in our own way, um, and talk about things that you know are a little bit ahead of what everybody else is talking about. Um, and and so yeah, that's just one more good reason to tune into us because we have been on that sixteen game stretch for the last two weeks. And talking about how important all of those games against those average to subpar teams in the last two weeks were going to be, because mm-hmm. uh, and and it's so funny, Lance, because somebody I was reading on Twitter today and somebody uh, had posted, I can't remember who it was, but they had posted that they would really be happy if the Wolves can go eight and eight in that stretch. <laughs> uh, yeah, we said that two weeks ago too. <laughs> you know, Man. So, yeah. so, in, check us out. Yeah, we we. You know, humbly, I think we definitely have a good idea, especially for two people. You know, this is your second season doing this, um, but my first, my first season, and yeah, you know, we're we're talking about stuff that guys, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years in the podcast realm are are talking about, and even a little ahead of them. So I think we're we're off to a pretty good start, um, and we'll just continue to get better. And I know a lot of it's kind of, um, the. Uh, drawing a blank on the word um foreseeing um and, right. and foreshadowing. We, yeah foreshadowing so we don't have you know not everything is going to be 100 percent accurate and and factual but um you know i think that with our intelligence and just experience um we're we're able to you know see like you've said what what coach finch sees i mean that's why you're here i'm your coach and you're looking you're looking ahead and trying to figure out what can be done to solve you know, certain things that are happening and also finding, you know, finding the positives that are happening as well. Yeah. I uh, One last thing before we get into this first game um, uh, of, of last week that we're going to talk a little bit about, I want to give a shout out to our super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop. I definitely want to toot his horn a little bit because uh, last week uh, for the first time we were able to put up our YouTube uh, broadcast uh, live from the Dream Shop and uh, Lloyd, it it looked and sounded so professional, so well done. Um, I studied it and just being able to kind of see how you work the camera angles and you know where we can improve. Um, looking into the camera when we're talking to the audience and versus looking at each other and all of those things, you were kind of talking us through, man. Your production work and your directing, man. I got to give you your flowers right here on the podcast, man. That was uh, that's that's top notch. So if you haven't had a chance. To go check out last week's episode, go to YouTube, uh, type in your YouTube search, the coach and the culture, the and symbol, not A&D, but the and symbol. Uh, type in the coach and the culture and um, you will see our podcast from last week on YouTube. And it is top notch professional stuff, man. So I really appreciate you, Coop. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate yes, it. And that that will continue to get better as well as that was our first, you know, setup. And so um, all of it's going to keep getting better. Yeah, every other week, every other week, you guys, uh, you'll be able to catch us and see our uh, see our chicklets and our and our and, and our smiles and and uh, <laughs> handsome faces, you know, 
on uh, live on the video screen. You know, for those of you who don't know, uh, Lance is also a part-time model. So, you know. Yeah, I'm just, uh, they might. Eye candy. <laughs> the, the, the surprise is going to be when they catch me with a haircut. <laughs> well, you know. Baby um, you're right. Well, let's let's jump into this. Um, we got the we got the last two uh, games since we talked last Sunday to Spurs and the Grizzlies. Um, in those games, uh, Rudy Gobert had the same stats in both games. He had 16 points and 20 rebounds in back to back games, um, which is <laughs> which is pretty phenomenal. Um, especially the Grizzly game. I mean, he got 20 points in both games, but. It, it looked like against the Grizzlies, he was just, I mean, there was nothing they could do. He was getting his hand on every rebound. And he, he had at least three or four tip outs that he doesn't get accredited rebounds for, but got the ball out to the, um, to a guard while the three point line. And, and it just looked like there was absolutely nothing that they could do with him on, on the boards. Yeah. The thing about Rudy, that's really impressive right now, in my opinion is the way he's moving uh, is just really, really impressive. His energy level, you know, th- there was a lot of talk about, which I didn't agree with, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk about how, you know, he's turning 31 and traditionally bigs, you know, guys that size, when they get into their 30s, they start to slow down. And last year, you know, is that the Rudy that, we, that we're going to get going forward that we traded for and all of this stuff? And my, my theory on it then as you very well know, Lance, was all of these conversations don't take into account the impact of being in a new city, being with a new organization, being in a new system, and then the guy that's kind of the... Also, before I get to that, you know, dealing with D'Angelo Russell and really almost feeling like D'Lo just never really wanted Rudy there. Like, he just don't like Rudy. Which is mm-hmm. a lot of players in the league, uh, most of them tend to be guards for whatever reason. Maybe they get tired of him swatting their shots. But a lot of players in the league seem to, and I'm just, you know, pontificating, seem to have their feelings about Rudy. Um and and but the cat injury was huge. You know, the, the cat injury can't be understated. Um not ha- having that time over the course of a full season to develop a style and develop an identity when you're trying to blend two players that have traditionally played the same position, you know, comfort is so much a part of a player's ability. You know, being comfortable matters so much, and it's so much harder for centers especially, but bigs to get comfortable with their surroundings because they're so dependent on both ends of the floor on everybody else doing things in a way that is familiar to them or in a way that is expected by them in order for them to look good doing what they do well. And I don't care what anybody says. Maybe Rudy was a little bit injured coming into last year. That's probably true. And maybe he just wasn't comfortable and D'Lo didn't make him feel comfortable. I don't think the Minnesota fans were very you know, gracious in, in mm-hmm. him into the fold. I think there was a lot of elements that played a role, but I cannot express to you both as a former player um, at the high school and collegiate level and as a current coach, how much comfortability and vibe matter, especially 
for somebody who's so dependent on everybody else in order for them to really look good. And Cat's injury never allowed that team to develop any comfortability as a unit. And it definitely, therefore, did not allow Rudy to develop any comfortability. And if you've ever played organized basketball and you've ever played in the post, and I'm in that unique position where I played both in the backcourt and in the front court as kind of a small forward, um, you know, undersized power forward at times. Heck, I jumped center in high school, my you know, my junior and year. And then um, also playing in the backcourt, sometimes a point guard in a big lineup, two guard. Lance, you know that as well because you played everything from two guard to center. And you know it's very different when you're playing center the relationship that you have to have with your other players versus when you're playing guard and you know you're going to get touches and you know that, you know, your job defensively is simplified to a certain extent when you just have to guard your guy or jump to your midline, you know. Um, so. And I think Mike Mike Conley, you know, we've talked about it many times already, yeah. but him, him coming over um, and being that vet who actually played with Rudy for four years already, um, you know, is is able to communicate with the other guys and express exactly what you and I just talked about and share with them, you know, what Rudy's tendencies are and how we can get the best out of him because he had already played with him for four years. And so that also coming into play, um, you know, the way he's playing right now, he's 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 accepted, which I had talked about also last year, a big part of that just with him and Ant, and it just looked like Ant was another one of those guards that didn't really want to play with Rudy, and now I just look at everybody, it seems like they are having a great time, they've accepted one another, they're comfortable with one another, like you stated, um, and another thing just on the health aspect of Rudy, um, you know, yes, getting into the 30s, you, you start to look at, okay, is the decline coming? Well, the way I look at Rudy, he is moving very well. And personally, I don't think Rudy is a big jumper. I think no. he's just long and he he's he's intelligent. Um, and a lot of times when you are dealing with bigs like that, you know, the knees are probably the first thing to go um, as you as you're when you're taller like that. And Rudy doesn't do a whole lot of jumping and put a whole lot of stress on those knees. And uh, you talk about injury last year and when he was. Um, on the bench he oftentimes did have those knees wrapped up um, and so I don't know you know we're still early in the season and we'll kind of see how it continues but just a, a positive thing for the situation is that Rudy is not someone who's jumping out the gym every time and landing on those knees you know all game long yeah and and here's the other part about that too is I think a lot of people talk out of both sides of their mouths because you can say well traditionally bigs when they get into their 30s slow down but we're not in traditional times Modern medicine, mm -hmm. modern workout regimens, the way guys take care of their bodies now. I mean, clearly Rudy put a lot of work in on his body and his conditioning. We say the same thing for Mike Conley. You know, Mike Conley, 36 years old, is out there running around chasing 20-year-old guards, you know, um, and, and, and still blowing by people at his age. You know, we talk about LeBron as the ultimate example at 39 years old, look at what, or 38, look at what he is doing, you know, in his 21st year in the league or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, um, whether they've had injuries or minor surgeries, surgery technology is way far advanced over what it was even 10 years ago, let alone 15, 20 years ago. Um, the way guys understand nutrition, 
the way guys understand conditioning, the way guys take care of their body year round now. And it's not like maybe it was 20 years ago where in the offseason guys would drink beers and smoke cigarettes. And then they come into the season and get into shape. Guys come into the season, you know, with their body in optimal shape now. Um, you're seeing that in every sport. You know, you look at boxing. There used to be a time where, you know, if you were a light, a welterweight boxer and you got into your mid-30s, the speed goes and, you know, you all of a sudden mm-hmm. you can't compete. And now you look at how long Floyd Mayweather fought at a welterweight. You look at Terrence Crawford at 35 years old at a welterweight. You know, you look at almost any sport, you know, you look Adrian Peterson, and I know he's a freak of nature, but, you know, look at what he did at the running back position coming off of, you know, ACL surgeries, shredded knees because the surgery technology and if a guy is committed to his body, which, you know, Rudy's workout regimen and his commitment to his body is well regarded around the NBA. So I think guys kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth when they say, well, you know, is Rudy going to start declining at 31 years old? But then at the same time, we'll acknowledge that in these modern times, um, the body can do, you know, guys are preparing their bodies to have longevity. And the example I'll give is Tyson Chandler. What was Tyson Chandler when the Dallas Mavericks won their title and he was holding down the middle for Dallas? Wasn't he like 36, something like that, in his mid mid to late 30s? And Tyson <clears throat> Chandler played pretty much the same role, you know, to a lesser extent, but pretty much the same role that Rudy is playing for the Timberwolves. Shot blocker, rim protector, rebounder, enforcer in the middle, who can also get out on the perimeter and move his feet and cover a little bit in his mid-30s. So there's a perfect example. And that was, you know, how many years ago? Almost a decade ago. Right. Yeah, no, he's he's you know, he is absolutely, you know, I wrote down Rudy's dominance. I mean, he is dominating the court right now. He is dominating defensively, dominating the rebounds, dominating in the paint. Um and that you know. <laughs> just keep talking about that trade and you know what right now I look they showed it I was just on Facebook I think two days ago they showed someone posted a trade and they were like um, the Jazz have Walker Kessler is the only person left on the Jazz from that entire trade um, and then they have obviously the draft picks but he's the only one left yeah and, and the thing about that is look again we talked about it here on the Coach in the Culture podcast back when it was the Coach in the Crooner podcast. We had that conversation about that trade. The first round draft picks are only every other year. They're not every year because in the NBA, you cannot trade consecutive first round draft picks. The idea of Rudy being on the team means that those draft picks are going to be late, you know, um, first round to, you know, outside of the lottery at worst because Rudy's presence alone is going to keep them in the playoffs. And even last year with Cat missing 55 games and them having to go through the plan, Rudy's presence kept them afloat. They do not make the playoffs without Rudy last year. I, mm-hmm. I Nobody can convince me they make the playoffs without Rudy last year. And so what was Utah's pick that they got from the Wolves? 16, 17, 18, something like that? Yeah, it's going to be much worse. Well, <laughs> this year, year, the Wolves keep their pick, and next year, there's a very high probability that the pick is going to be in the 20s. So, really, what's the value of that compared to the value of what Rudy is bringing you right now? All right. So, yeah, yeah Rudy, Rudy is uh, he's he's doing his thing out there, um, and and you know help help them astronomically over those last two games. And his numbers are his numbers are great. But let's, let's bring that back full circle to the Spurs win, the 102-94 win over the Spurs. Um, yeah. And and the way Rudy um, and Mike Connolly, Mike Connolly is just a surgeon. 
the way Mike Conley Jedi sliced up the Spurs with not just, you know, his own game, 18 points, four and four, um, you know, one turnover, but also, you know, the hockey assists and the way that he's organizing the floor so that other guys can get off. Um, you know, that was a game where Cat, you know, was in foul, uh, uh, not, I'm sorry, not in foul trouble, but struggled with some turnovers. But, you know, the Spurs really keyed in on Cat. And much to Cat's credit, he didn't force shots. He only got six shot attempts up, but he made five, gave you 14 and 10. Um, and and then, you know, we talked about Rudy 16 and 20, um, you know, and two blocks to go along with that. And then we talk about Nas Reedy, who gave you another 15 and nine, you know, and, and the thing about that is um, the game before that was the Charlotte game where the three bigs went for a combined 77, right? Something like that. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it wasn't a combined 77, but you look at you look at this game and they give you a combined 44 points and uh and 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 39 rebounds. <laughs> so so you look at what Rudy is doing in 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 relationship with Nas and and uh Cat and you know that that four or five position is rock solid, I'd say, you know, one of the best, if not the best in the league right now. Um, and then, of course, Ant gives you 17 that game, uh, first game back coming from injury. Uh, took a lot of shots to get him, took 17 shots to get him, uh, got to the free throw line eight times, which is, you know, for a guy with a bad hip, um, <laughs> that's taking some contact. You know, he right. out six assists, um, you know, and so and and I mentioned it on Twitter or yeah, Twitter X, whatever Twitter that uh, ahead of the game, I said. The Wolves are getting San Antonio coming off of four days in which Pop, at least three of those days, has been able to get his team back into the into the practice gym because, you know, you don't get a lot of practice time in the NBA. So you give Popovich three days to get his team motivated, to get his team organized, to kind of come up with, um, help his team kind of reset their identity. It didn't really matter to me that San Antonio was struggling. It didn't matter that they were on a losing streak. What mattered to me was I know how um, elite of a coaching mind that Greg Popovich is, and he was going to have four days to prepare his team to get back to war. And uh, it was ugly. You know, let's be honest. The game itself was ugly both ways. And for the Timberwolves, it was ugly until the fourth quarter. And then Mike Conley did Mike Conley stuff, and Rudy Gobert did Rudy Gobert stuff, and 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 the Wolves pulled it out, and people were complaining about you know the Wolves kind of are gonna get caught up, keep letting these lesser teams hang around, and I just don't think of it that way. I as a coach, I'm like you have to respect every opponent. You have to respect the fact that Greg Popovich had four days to kind of reset his team and get them playing some defense, which they did and play some better basketball. So you had to take the Spurs seriously. And this idea that the Wolves are just supposed to come out against the Spurs of the world or the Grizzlies of the world and go up by 20 at the end of the first quarter and blow these teams out, that's just not how the NBA works, right? These guys are professionals. And it's very rare, no matter what the records are, that a team just comes out and whitewashes a team in the first quarter, gets up by 20 and blows them out the whole way. It happens, but that's far and few between. The way it usually happens is the bad teams hang around. You can say it's because the good teams are letting them hang around. If that's how you feel, I disagree. Sometimes the bad teams are playing with a lot of fight and you have to beat the fight out of them. You have to pummel the fight out of them. And what more way to pummel the fight out of a team than with staunch defense? And 
So, you know, the Wolves, at the end of the day, they give up 94 points to the Spurs. They suffocate them with defense. And over the course of four quarters, those bad teams start making bad team decisions and taking bad team shots and making bad team mistakes. And the good teams stay solid in what they do. In the Wolves' case, it's defense and it's playing big and it's Rudy dominating and it's Mike Connolly surgically cutting people up. And they pull away. And, you know, the fans can be like, oh, that was an ugly win. The game was ugly, yes. But to me, the way the Wolves finish that game is what good teams do when they're playing bad teams in the NBA. They don't often blow them out from the jump. But in the second half, they take over games. And they did that against San Antonio. And then they followed that up with a very similar performance against Memphis. Yeah, and then uh, with you, know, you talked about Ant and his eight free throws and and – um, coming back off that injury and, you know, just watching him play, uh, you know, when screens were getting set on him or, you know, any time throughout the game where he was getting close to contact, you could clearly see that he was trying to avoid that. He was trying yeah. to go high high over the screens. He was trying to kind of rotate his body so that his hip wasn't out there. And, um, you know, as we talked about, we both know exactly what that hip pointer feels like. And, um, you know, I personally – it's, I mean, it's evident because he only played four minutes in the Grizzlies game the next or two nights later. But, you know, in those situations, I mean, that man, when he fell, he jumped so high. Like, I, I could, I know how bad it hurts and I don't jump nearly that high. So I couldn't, I can only imagine it being three times worse um, coming down with all your body weight like that. And, um, you know, for him to come out and, yeah, he took a lot of shots and they weren't really falling, but to still have seven assists and six rebounds on a hip pointer like that. Um, really shows his determination and desire to be out on the floor um, because it it clearly was it, it hurt um, and so um, you know but again they have they have depth this team has talent all around it and so they're even though he you know against the Grizzlies had to exit the game um, and yes it was the Grizzlies who are not playing very well right now but um, the team one out of four the Grizzlies yeah they hadn't won three out of four coming into that game. Okay, well, that's even better um, for for my case for the Wolves having talent, depth, and uh, and and picking up the slack when he had to had to get out of there. Um, but I, I want to talk a little about over those two games how Cat, uh, you know, he shot eighty three percent from the field the first game and then fifty percent from the field the, against the Grizzlies, and um, then I looked at his three point percentage for the year and he's up to 43 percent and that just lets you know you know if you were listening to our podcast at the beginning we were talking a lot about how his shot wasn't falling um and so his three-point percentage the first probably probably from week and a half of the season was was pretty low um and now for him to be up over 42 percent and it was 42.8 percent um you know he's been shooting the ball so well um and you you touched on it he's not forcing shots i mean i don't know you know, mentally, if he knows he's 50, 40, 90, and he's like, you know what? I'm not taking nothing unless it's, 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 it's for sure to go in the basket because I don't want to lose these numbers. Um, but if that's the case, I mean, it's working for him and also for the team because, um, you know, he's moving the ball. He's not, he, you know, he's, he's scoring way less points than he has over the last five or six years, but he's playing at a much higher clip. Um, and he's he's playing a lot smarter. He's playing, look, he's he's playing amazing basketball. Um, and there's you know there's no denying it. And, um, um, he's go ahead. I'll say we talked about it with Rudy 
comfortability. Right now, Cat is comfortable. Beginning of the season, he looked very uncomfortable. And right now, he looks very comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. When he was shooting the three ball against Memphis, when he was letting it go, it just looked so smooth and so in rhythm. Just the whole mechanics were really smooth. And he just looks in control of his mind and his body and his game. Um, it's a beautiful thing, um, it, you know. Part of it, I think, being 28 years old and moving into that stage of life, that manhood mm-hmm. stage of life that we've been talking about for years. I think part of the knock on Cat is we've watched Cat grow up from a boy to a man and all of the things that happened in those years of, you know, because he came into the league, you know, I think he was 19, 20 years old after one year at Kentucky. So we watched Cat go through life, you know, and he, in such a very public way, in part because of his game, in part because of his family, uh, um, you know, and COVID and his family uh, um, um, traumas, and in part because Cat can sometimes bring attention to himself with his mm-hmm. quirky personality and his quotes. But, you know, we've watched him under a microscope. And now I think what we have to do is give credit to the fact that we are watching him move into that next stage you know we talk about life being in cycles of seven right so cat's now moving into that you know that next cycle of seven those years between 28 and 35 which as a 50 year old i understand how instrumental those years are in life as a human being no matter what your profession and i think we're starting to see that um from carl anthony towns um as he progresses but also i think you're starting you're seeing a guy who for the first time really in his entire career has continuity and stability in the organization that he plays for and you know we talked you know it's as much has been talked about the salary cap situation and money he's making and Rudy's making and all of that and I really we talked last week about how I feel like this team has a let's just handle today mentality and I don't see any of that future stuff being a worry everybody seems comfortable right now and who they are as a human being and where they're going. I think Mike Connolly is a big, big part of that. Um, you know, but I think that's what you're seeing from Cat. He's playing amazing basketball. He's shooting the ball comfortably. He forces some plays. Um, but he and he's always gonna force some plays. And let's be honest, show me an all NBA, all star caliber player that doesn't force some plays. Show me you know that's part of the territory is to push the envelope when you're that damn good. You know, Mm -hmm. and especially with Ant out or Ant hobble, you know. And so, um, you know, the way Cat's playing right now is just really in control. Now, you know, we got this 16-game stretch that everybody's talking about and the pressure cooker is going to heat up. And so it'll be interesting to see if that sustains, if that vibe sustains, because, you know, nobody goes to an 82-game season unscathed, not even the 73-win Warriors because they didn't win the championship. So... You know, and yeah. how it all plays out. Um, I'm curious to see here with when uh, how if Ant's going to miss a couple games because um, obviously having to come out of the Grizzlies game um, and it's it seems to be something where they you don't want to rush that back even though it is a lot of a pain tolerance thing. That's what I was going to say. Um, it's it's right. Um, but at the same time, you don't you don't want to be out there mentally, like I said, having to you know think about not getting hit 
um, and putting your team in compromised positions, um, which may be a reason on why he didn't go back out there because just the pain was not, you know, it wasn't bearable. And at some point you are going to hurt the team if you're not able to give, um, you know, yeah. give most of your effort. And, he and said yes, he said, he said ahead. that he was, he said that in the San Antonio game, the first few minutes, he said, he actually said it wasn't so much that he was in pain. He was just scared. He was worried about it getting hit, you mm-hmm. know? And so that understood. And yeah, I can get, we've both been there. So that <laughs> very understood because that, yep. that pain is crippling, man. When that, when that pain hits you, you know, he yep. called out of the game in Memphis pretty early and Finch said that he took a hit, you know, and then, uh, and and then came down on it awkwardly after taking the hit and, and asked out of the game. And, you know, again, we've talked about it. Anybody who's ever had a hit pointer, you can feel good at the start of a game and you get it hit one way in one time, wrong way, take an elbow. You know, like we said, NBA guys are dirty. They're going to target that hit. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Wolves find a way to get two more W's in that, uh, that win column. They're 17 of, and four, um, still atop the league overall, not just the West, but the entire league. Um, there are four and a half games uh, above the uh, the Sun, the Sixers. Yeah. The Suns are the seventh seed. The Sixers are the sixth seed. They're oh, four and a half. It's not the Sixers. The Sixers are in the West. I mean, they're in the, in the East. <laughs> they're 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 ahead of. Uh, I believe Sacramento is. Uh, I believe it's Sacramento who's in the sixth seed, right? And then the Phoenix is in the seventh seed. That's my bad. We had it written down, and uh, I can't. Sacramento's in the sixth seed. Okay, uh, that's the that's the guaranteed playoff spot. They're four and a half games ahead of Sacramento. And five and a half games ahead of the Suns. So, but really, Sacramento is the big one because the Suns are the play in the play-in position. Seven, eight, nine, and ten are play-in positions. So, really, you want you know, obviously, we want to finish with the number one seed, but we definitely don't want to have a stretch where we fall below six. Right, and that's where I was going with that, which is, uh, you know, they they're building themselves um, a cushion. Obviously, we want to, like you said, we want to stay the one seed the entire year. We don't want to lose another game for the rest of the year, but that's not realistic. And so, um, you know, at, at a right at a four and a half, tell myself that like two weeks ago. I actually, still tell it to me now, but whatever. <laughs> um, at four and a half games, you know, we're creating ourselves a little bit of that cushion to where. You know, if, if we do go through a stretch uh, where we where we drop a few, we're not dropping all the way down to that uh, six, seven, eight seed. Uh, we're building ourselves up to where if we do slip, now we're looking at the three, four, five seed, um, which is still, you know, yes, we want to stay at the one, the two, but if we drop down to three, four, five, we're still in a great position um, as we, you know, fight, fight throughout the year. Um, and that's, you know, that's something obviously with our, with our past that's not something that's done been done before we're always trying to fight back and find a couple games um to get up get moved up a couple points but now we're building ourselves a cushion to where we if we we do slip up it's you know we're not ending up out of the playoffs or down there at the play-in spot and yes it's still early and yes we have a 16 game stretch coming up here um but if we're able to make it out of this um on the up and up then we we have, we will have created that cushion after the 16 games. Yeah, I, I want to backtrack a little bit before we get to the to to the foreshadowing, um, because I I wanted to make a comment about the Memphis game um, that we did not bring up, and I think it's important because I've been on Twitter talking about it, and you and I have talked about kind of Shake Milton and mm-hmm. you know, Shake 
you know, when is Shake going to find his game? And, you know, uh, again, we talk about, you know, Timberwolves fans can not be super welcoming to new guys that don't come out and light the house on fire right away. We, you know, Rudy kind of talked about how he didn't feel really welcomed by the Wolves fans, you know, and given um, a chance to kind of work through his struggles. Like fans don't really take all the variables into account when you, you know, because fans, you know, many of them never played basketball and many of them never played basketball. Like, you know, if you're my age, you weren't really playing high school basketball at a time where you transferred, you know, the transfer rules were so different. And, and the college, if you played college transfer rules were so different, you know? And, and so even if you did play, like not many people know what it's like to go to a new team in a new environment and then try to fit in in one year, you know? Oh, and that's something, you know, all too well, but we talked about how you got to give Shake some time, you know, and and you had even mentioned that their team is more focused on getting their core, playing the style and the identity and playing the way they want to play. And that Finch just kind of keep throwing Shake out there, one, because McLaughlin was hurt, but two, also kind of like just go out there and play. Just go out there and play and play through your struggles and just kind of be out there. We need you to be a body out there, you know, kind of hoping that it would eventually click. And um, it the look in Shake's face in the Memphis game was a different level of intensity and and certainty. It was almost like he went out there and from the moment he came into the game, he had a look on his face that was like, okay, enough is enough. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and he gives you 17 points on six and nine shooting his season high with the Wolves for this year. Um, and just the assertiveness with which he played you know, was really, really impressive. Still turned the ball over twice. And funny enough, both times he turned the ball over, in my opinion, were plays that he was indecisive. But the rest of the time, he was very decisive. He was decisive in his shot taking, which, you know, his shot had some arc on it. There was a rhythm to it. There was a tempo to the release that maybe we hadn't seen yet this season outside of the preseason. And I mentioned on Twitter, I said, I think this might be the beginning of Shake Milton starting to, you know, be himself a little bit more out there on the floor. I don't think that was a one time, okay, he had a good game and then he's going to go back to really struggling. I think that you might start to see Shake stack some games together. And also, um, you know, Nikhil has been doing just a phenomenal job uh, filling in for Jaden McDaniels. And, you know, the team hasn't really missed a beat with him filling in. And so, you know, he goes out there and he gives you 14 points on four and nine shooting, but four of eight, 50 percent from three. And then also Troy Brown, you know, stepping in for Anthony Edwards, who only played four minutes. Troy Brown steps in, um, gives you 30 minutes, gives you 20 points, four rebounds, four assists, you know, just, you know, giving you he can't give you what Ant gives you, but he gives you. You know, really good scoring punch, really good defense. He gives you a really good Troy Brown version. And, you know, if you if Ant's going to only play four minutes and have to leave the game and you can still get 20 points from that position while Cat's giving you 24 and Conley's giving you 19 and Rudy's giving you 16 and 20, that's almost as good as Ant being out there on an average night. <laughs> right. And so... um, Yeah, so- Shake, Shake Milton definitely... 
look comfortable. Not com- I shouldn't say comfortable, but he he had that I have nothing to lose mentality. Yeah. Um, because if he was if he continued playing the way he's been playing to start the season, yeah, his time is going to be very limited. Um, and so I I agree that he. He was just went out there and he's like, you know what? I'm going to stop thinking and I'm going to just go out and hoop and do what I do best. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's what the Wolves brought him in to do anyways. I mean, they brought him in to be a scorer. They brought him in to create your own shot. They brought him in to do exactly what he did against the Grizzlies. Uh, and it was great to see that. Um, and and I agree with you that because it, it's not his technique, it's not his um lack of ability it's strictly just his mindset that yeah. if he if he gets a you know a few games rolling where it's like that um yeah i don't i don't think it's something that's going to go away obviously he's going to have off games but it's going to be more consistently positive what we just seen than it is going to be what we've seen over the past you know 20 games yeah, yeah and that, and and you know we talked about we talked on the on the last week about you know those those offseason acquisitions. We talked about Troy. We talked about resigning Nikhil, and we talked about you know Shake Milton. And we talked about like each one of those guys at different times of the year is going to be the difference in a game. Each one of those mm-hmm. guys is going to be like that's a game that Shake Milton won for us. That's a game that Troy Brown won for us. That's a game that Nikhil won for us. And Nikhil has won. You know, I think a couple games this year. Um, I think it's safe to say Troy Brown has won a game or two. Um, maybe even you could say the Memphis game was a game that, you know, if Troy Brown doesn't perform the way he performs, maybe it's not a 20 plus point win, you know, and mm-hmm. then absolutely say that Shake Milton's minutes when Ant got hurt, especially early Shake Milton's minutes where he had most of that 17 right around the same time Ant went out early in the game. Um, you know, you, you could say that, um, that, you know, that's a game that Shake helped him kind of win. And then, you know, Troy Brown's third quarter was obviously phenomenal starting the third quarter for Ant. Um, and and that's when the Wolves really, really grabbed grabbed the bull by the horns, grabbed the grabbed the the grizzlies by the by the bear ears. <laughs> so put that game away. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to okay. bring that up because Shake deserved his flowers for that game. Yes, Everybody's been hard on him. We need to recognize when he played like we have been waiting for him to play. And you said it best. It looked like he stopped thinking and just went out there and played. And again, if you've never gone from one team to another team, um, especially a team with high expectations and high profile players, you don't know how hard it is to not be thinking out there and, mm-hmm. uh, until you find your stride. And it's really a difficult thing to do to get out of your own head because you don't want to upset the apple cart. And once you start thinking, everything starts to kind of snowball for you and um it was nice to see him go out there and it looked like on his face he said f it yep <laughs> <Our> ball. <laughs> yeah. so i want to talk a little bit about uh uh the alex rodriguez interviews that i've watched um, yeah and, and um you know i probably three weeks ago i just mentioned how i feel like him uh buying the, the organization kind of set um, a different a different attitude or or had a big part to do with the culture shift that we're witnessing here in Minnesota with the Wolves. Um, and so I listened to some interviews with him, and um, one of the things I wrote down here was that um, obviously Alex Rodriguez has won a championship in the MLB with the Yankees. Um, and so off, you know, <laughs> off the bat, uh, you have that championship experience and understanding what it takes to – 
um, achieve that. Not just uh, win championships, but been the guy. I mean, him and Derek won in one A. They were the guys on that team. So it's one thing to win, say you want to change. You know, Robert Orr got seven championships. He was never the superstar. You know, Alan yeah. Rodriguez was the superstar in New York City. In the correct, it's a great, great addition, great addition to that. Um, yeah, so leading as well as just winning championships, but yes, being a huge part in that. Um, also understanding that uh, he won a championship, but it took him 15 years. Um, and so you can imagine, um, every single year for 15 years being that guy and being that good and falling short. Um, so his, you know, one of his biggest talking points was that yeah i won a championship but i'm not trying to teach these guys what it felt like when when i won the championship it's about the 15 years of lessons that it took me um to get to that point um and and the struggles he's like you know the i don't i don't talk too much to them about the championship i talk more about the you know, over my 23 years of career, what were my dark times? What were the times where things, you know, I, I felt like I had no hope and I felt like, you know, is it time to throw in the towel? Like what's going, like everything's going wrong just for that one, you know, a, epitome of winning a championship. Um, and so that's one thing that I, that I thought was, you know, was, was cool that, you know, and, and I didn't even know that Alex Rodriguez had only won one championship out of all the years. Maybe I maybe I misheard him or something because I swear I thought he did too. Um, but from what I gathered, um, it was one. I'll look it up real quick. Up, Bear right. with me. I I was pretty sure it was more than one. He's got one in two thousand nine. Wow. In 23 years of baseball, Alex Rodriguez has won championship. Um, three, M- three AL MVPs, 10, 14 All-Star games. So he did every, he was doing everything but winning the big one. Yep. But he did get it. And so his, like I said, a big part of his his interviews were just expressing the fact of, like, like I said, you can only imagine how hard it must be to do all of that to win one championship um, over 23 years. Um, And then he talked a little about uh, building, you know, building a foundation. He said he was asked when he first got here, you know, what are the expectations for the team in the first year? And he had said, I don't, I don't, I don't even have, there's no expectations. I don't really care about the right now. My focus here is to build a foundation that will last. Um, And as a, business owner you know that's one thing that i look at and i and i compare my my work to other to other companies and my biggest thing is that yeah you might you might have more faster or you might have received something but what i am building um with yes trees is built to last and it's going to be the foundation that's going to um create success for multiple years as you see because he was asked about the heat and the spurs and he was like, well, if you look at those two teams, again, it's the culture, it's the foundation. It's not who comes into play for us. It's when you do come play for us, you know, you're jumping into a winning culture and a winning um, atmosphere. And so I love to hear him say that, it, you know, it doesn't matter what we do right now. Um, we understand that it's going to um, take a little time 
to build something um, that's built to last. And I think that we're, you know, I think we've been <laughs> with Tim Conley making some uh, very good moves. Um, I think that we've received this uh, success, maybe even a little more prematurely than he had would have anticipated just by saying that alone. I mean, if you tell him you look up two years from now and you're the number one seed in the West, he would tell you, well, that's not even what I was. That's not even what I was shooting for. Um, I don't know. I think I think when the Rudy Gobert trade was made, that's exactly what they were shooting for. Well, this interview was had before then. As soon as he bought the team, so <laughs> okay. may, so maybe that maybe that changed up. And I'm I, sure I was Tim, say because because you already know you got Anthony Edwards and you know you got Carl Anthony Towns, and then you add Rudy Gobert to that mix, and that kind of expedites the process. Yeah, but you also have to understand that Alex Rodriguez is not. He's not. I'm sure he's not basketball smarts in that aspect. So he's coming in as an owner, right. and he's saying, "I don't really know much about basketball, but I do know that if we're going to do something special, we need to build a foundation." And right. so Tim Connolly was making those moves. Obviously, he wants it now immediately because that's his career on the line. Um, but Alex Rodriguez is understanding what it takes to get and and hold on to that. Um, and so I think the two coming together at the same time just had a, played a big part in it. But one thing that you and I talked about in the podcast last year when I was just visiting is that Tim Conley has, um, you know, we, we have guys that we think have talent that are sitting on the bench that aren't seeing any minutes. And you talked about how he it's, it's like he's just building um, players throughout the entire organization that are hoopers that are that are able to come in and, and contribute um and and that goes hand in hand with building that foundation um and and you know i i think we do have people on the bench that are capable ball players um but just we just have so many of them that you just kind of have to wait your turn yeah and and, and you know as you very well know with the nba when you get to that level of basketball, the good teams are good teams because one, they absolutely have that culture and the decisions that the players make on the court is what separates the good teams from the not good teams. It's not how fast a guy can run. It's not how high a guy can jump in a lot of ways. It's not even how well a guy shoots, you know, outside of your elite superstars, but really the good teams are good teams because of their decision-making processes. And Kenny Smith, on TNT talks about it, like the difference between the great players and the good players is the decisions that they make. It's not how many reps they get up or how many shots, you know, it's not the work because everybody's working hard in the NBA. It's about the decisions they make on the court. What separates LeBron and Michael Jordan, you know, what separates those guys from, you know, a Vince Carter even, or a, a, mm -hmm. is, is the decisions that they make when they're out there. And so, I, I have another word for you that I'm going to use that he actually said that I think is uh, synonymous um, with that. It's He said, it's not about baseball or basketball. It's who is the most disciplined team. Yep. So yep. exactly what you just said, discipline, meaning that you are consciously making the right choice and the right decision, um, you know, on a day in and day out basis. And one of his biggest things was um, – you know, putting your ego to the side. He was like, you know, to, to be a disciplined team, you have to put your ego to the side. You have to accept everybody that's that's involved in, but you have to trust that from the top down that everybody's going to do the 
make the same right decisions. And then that will lead to everybody buying into being disciplined. And he was like, you know, whether it's us as the owners, all the way down to the to the ball boys and the equipment managers and everybody throughout the organization has to be disciplined. Um, And that, you know, that word discipline fits exactly what you just said. That's success in anything. I mean, even at the high school level, that's what we're talking with our players about all the time. That's why I am beaming about how we played on Saturday night is because, you know, from the game Tuesday to the game Saturday, the amount of discipline that our players played with just made me proud to be a part of that group of guys and that that program and and the coaching staff, the the relationship that was happening on that bench uh, amongst us coaches, everything, the vibe, man, people talking about the vibe of the Wolves, you know, on our level at the high school level for a night on Saturday that vibe was just, man, it's, I'm still full. My, my heart and my chest <laughs> are still full from that vibe because that was a special vibe. Now, it's our challenge to keep that vibe going because we're only two games in. But if you, you know, you're talking about the Wolves, their challenge over the next 16 games is can they keep that vibe going? And what's going to keep that vibe going is staying true to that discipline, that connectivity, even when the outcome isn't in their favor. They might not, you know, most likely they won't win them all, but can they keep that vibe going and can they keep that discipline even when the results isn't in their favor? And that's how you build that culture. Uh-huh. And then, you know, to bring it full circle, that word discipline, we've said from the Wolves from the very beginning, this team that that is, they have to come out and they have to maintain the level of energy and commitment um, every game, day in and day out. Um, and that comes with discipline. Um, they, when they're up by 20, when they're down by 20, they have to stay the course, stay their style. Um, and, and discipline is what creates that because it eliminates the, the, the other stuff that can creep in. If you're, if you say no, if you say no, if you say no, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this day in and day out. That is discipline. Um, and it's funny cause that's what we've talked about over the past, um, you know, pretty much his whole season. And I had, you know, the reason I'm talking about A-Rod is just because I feel like he has brought a certain attitude to this team. Um, and just hearing him talk, you know, he's he's not, he's younger. He's He's been an athlete. He's able to relate. He's able to talk to these guys. Um, Ain't that, and, he was with J-Lo, so he can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's had it all. Um, and, and he inundated some hotties, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like listening to him. And I, I, you know, after all of the interviews I heard, I do, I really do think that he is playing a big part behind the scenes and what, what's going on, not just even how they're playing, but just the, um, you know, he was talking a lot about how the NBA is a progressive league. Um, and so, you know, the Wolves, just the atmosphere of the games, the, yes, we're winning. So that helps. But the marketing that's gone into the Wolves, the updating, like it it truly feels like he came in and, and got with the times. Um, and, and I've noticed that even outside of the actual games that are being played, when it comes to the promoting, when it comes to the deals, when it comes to the Wolves being in front of your face, um, I've seen a big uptick um, in the amount of uh, social media work, the amount of um you know, advertising, all of that stuff has really gone up as well. I don't think that Anthony Edwards would be on the side of a building in Las Vegas when he signed his contract extension if Alex Rodriguez isn't part of the uh, incoming ownership group. 
There you go. Um, last thing I wanted to say about him, um, super cool. He emphasized in every single interview, and I'm not under, I'm not over whatever the heck the word is. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, but every single interview, he talked about how he is a brown person, a person of color, um, and the goal of his is to uh, pave the way for other minority owners, for other people to see um, that even as a brown person, anything anything can be accomplished. Uh, and he he said that religiously, um, and I, I thought that that was super cool because um, a lot of times, unfortunately, guys aren't aren't going to talk about that or they're not going to say that. But it seems like it was an emphasis of his to make it well known, even here in the state of Minnesota, that um, he is doing this for a cause. Um, and I, I was I was I was glad to hear that. Well, hopefully, as soon as they take over the ownership group, they can go ahead and bring Kevin Garnett back, put his jersey up in the rafters, maybe put a statue outside the Target Center. Yeah, there must be some. I I don't. Maybe you know more than I do, but there must be some real bad blood because when I was, you know, the interview, they asked. He was sitting next to Glenn Taylor, and they asked him, and he was like, "Okay, so now that you're." Um, he was actually taught the interviewer was talking to Glenn Taylor and he said, you know, is the, are you ever going to get Kevin Garnett back in here? And he said, well, we've, we've asked KG to come back and have that ceremony multiple times. And it's more so on his time. Um, and when he, when he determines that it, he's ready. And so for, for them to say they've openly invited him back and he hasn't accepted that yet. I mean, there's gotta be some real, well, some real bad blood in there. I know I know you're you're kind of new to this, um, yep. but, and I'm not going to go into details because that's probably a whole nother podcast. And then there's other things that I kind of have heard through my, um, you know, my my Twin Cities, you know, yep. actions in the grapevine. But let's just say this. Plain and simple. Kevin Garnett does not like Glenn Taylor, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I grasp that. Um, so yes, hopefully that is, um, that is the plan cause it's well-deserved. Um, but that, that's what I got from A-Rod. I, I do truly think that he's played a big part in where the Wolves are at today. And I'm, I'm excited for his, um, progressive nature to keep, keep things lively here in Minnesota. Um, we can talk quickly about the, uh, in-season tournament, um, and, and how that, unfolded uh we the lakers ended up winning it last night um we talked about off podcast how their their pool um was questionable uh they had uh, uh three out of their five teams they had the suns we'll just leave it at this the suns was the only real competition that was in that pool which they did have to beat twice um so i will give them credit for that because they had to beat them once in the pool game and then they also had to beat them in the actual tournament yeah. i know they didn't no, because that, that couldn't be the case. No, they beat them. They beat them in the. Um, they beat them in the. Uh, yeah, they had to beat them twice. They beat them in the pool game, and then they beat them in the quarterfinals. But how? How could they have beat them in the pool game, and then the Lakers and the Suns still made it to the quarterfinals? Because the, point, because the Suns got in due to the point differential. The Suns got in due to the point differential. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a, I'm lost on that. One. But regardless, um, the Lakers the Lakers won. I get what you're saying about the point differential, but I thought that it was there could only be one winner from the pool, to, no matter oh, what the point oh, differential oh, was. Each pool had a winner, 
and then the point differential. Uh, there were two extra seeds. That yeah. that's and right. That was gotcha. determined by point differential. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that those two teams that got in due to the point differential were um, Phoenix and it was either I think I want to say it was Sac. No, Sacramento went undefeated, so it would have been Oklahoma City, I believe. Gotcha. Well, the Lakers ended up winning it. Um, it, it seemed like it was a positive thing for the for the league. Um, it seemed like there, there was a lot of notice on it. It seemed like it gave. I don't know. I wouldn't. Um, it seemed like it gave uh, guys something to play for early in the season on top of, um, you know, just getting out to a hot start. But it, it added some competitive fire to the regular season, which is which is nice because that's something that's been talked about, you know, for some time now. And so they finally did something to make a change about it to to make the regular season a little bit more competitive. So now that that's done, we'll see if it trickles over or if we if we find ourselves, um, you know, with a little bit less competitive regular season, but with the schedules and everybody being competitive and, and having talent for the most part, um, I think that this is going to be one of the one of the better regular seasons because everybody, as last year, actually was pretty good because um, everybody's going to be pretty close. Yeah, I think you know, I think the end season tournament. Here's the deal: whether you liked it or whether you didn't like it, you had an opinion about it, and you know, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? So, yeah. some people liked it, some people didn't like it, but everybody had an opinion about it, and because so, everybody had an opinion about it, and because the Lakers were involved. Um, and at one point in time, the Knicks were involved, right? Um, it, people watch the games. And let's be honest, the NBA is a great marketing machine. Just mm-hmm. it, it knows how to make take something that is normal and, and make it look super normal, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, the Lakers played the Trailblazers and, you know, the Grizzlies. Like, they didn't have to – they didn't have a difficult pool. Um, that's how both the Lakers and Phoenix got in because they got to beat up on the bottom feeders of the Western Conference, and that's where the point differential played a role. Well, mm-hmm. the Wolves, you know, who – you know, you lost one game to the Sacramento Kings, but because you didn't blow out, you know, Golden State and you didn't blow out, you know – uh, San Antonio to the level that, you know, by 50 or whatever, by 40 or whatever. And you didn't, and then you had to play Oklahoma city, which just beating Oklahoma city was, that was the win. If you ask me. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, I think they can probably do away with the point differential. My suggestion is that they go with, um, best regular season, like not in season tournament record to date as the tiebreaker, you know, after head to head. Um oh, yeah. That's that would have put the Wolves yeah. in, obviously, uh, having the best record in the league. Um, but, you know, it, it, good for the NBA, good for the Lakers, good for LeBron. You know, when the Lakers I don't think had to beat one team that was in, in their pool or in the tournament, uh quarterfinals to the championship. They didn't have to beat one team that was a top four seed in either conference. Right. Well, so, they only had to beat the Suns. Like the and... mediocre against the mediocre. <laughs> you know? And yeah, the Suns got rolling a little bit. And so beating the Suns definitely, you know, they get a feather in their cap for beating the Suns. But let's be honest. The Suns are what? In sixth place in the West? Seventh seventh place in the West? You know, so right. 
They didn't have to play the Wolves. They didn't have to play the Thunder. They didn't have to play the Mavericks. They didn't have to play the Nuggets. They didn't have to play the Celtics, the Magic, the Bucks, the 76ers. So, you know, they didn't be the top four seed in either conference. But, you know, they took advantage of what was in front of them. Uh, The NBA got great publicity out of it, out of the situation. Um, And it gave people something to talk about in NBA basketball in the end of November and the early part of December. So kudos to the NBA. I'm sure they'll make adjustments. I'm sure that they'll make some tweaks, but I'm also sure just like the playing games, um, the NBA in-season tournament will be back next year and it'll probably be bigger and better than ever. Yeah, well, shout out to the NBA for making god-awful courts to give also more people stuff to talk about because, um, look, they were bad. I think the Wolves was actually decent. I kind of like their court. I like the color scheme. Any other thing, I think the the Pacers actually had a, a decent one as well, but for the rest of the ones I saw, I was not a huge fan. And the color scheme of the championship with the red and blue and the Lakers wearing gold, yellow on that court was disgusting. Um, and I'm sure that it was another reason for us to talk about something because there's no way that those courts are going to be similar next year. I don't look, Dame, if Dame Lillard caused the courts, got awful then I think the NBA is going to do something about it because them things are ugly. Well, here's the thing. One person's spaghetti vomit is another person's abstract <laughs> art masterpiece. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not I'm not buying it. So they're going to have to Spaghetti vomit to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the 16-game the stretch is knocking on our front door and we have to open it tomorrow um, and, and we got to get busy. And we, well, we – go ahead. Let me just say this. We don't just open it tomorrow, but we open it tomorrow at a healthy, at a healthy, angry, embarrassed New Orleans Pelicans team going back to their own home floor. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. With Ian has been browbeaten in the national media. Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith. I mean, they TNT just pretty much man just put it took him behind the woodshed um the pelicans got embarrassed by the lakers just mud stomped on national tv they have a coach who is fiery and competitive um they have prideful players and cj mccullum uh and so the wolves are going into the cliched hornet's nest tomorrow night and i am very curious to see how they respond to the type of energy that new orleans is likely to play with from the opening tip and i don't think that's the game you want to fall behind 20 points and have to call your way back i think that is a game that the wolves had better be on there i call it the boston celtics version against uh, wolves the version that played against the celtics from the rooter to the tutor, from the opening tip into the final buzzer, and it still might not win you the game because Zion might just stick up his middle finger to everybody and go for 45, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Um, so the Wolves have their work cut out for them, especially if Ant is not playing tomorrow. We know Jaden's not playing, which means that whoever's guarding Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram's going to be able to shoot over the top of him because Jaden's about the only player that the Wolves can throw at Brandon Ingram that he can't just shoot over. Um, yeah, they got their work cut out for him tomorrow, man. 
that they do. Um, and it's very curious to see if Ant's going to play. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's a pain tolerance thing, but at a certain point, you know, it it, it can it can it can take you out. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if he's back. Even if he is back, there's absolutely no way he's going to be at full strength. So, um, you know, as it is going to be a test for sure. We'll see who who's going to step up to the challenge. We'll see. You know, someone somebody either the team is going to have to have an overall uh, strong night from everybody involved. Or someone's going to have to go off, um, and and uh, you know Mike Conley, I think has the ability to go off a little more than um, he normally does. But I think Cat is probably the only player that we can say um, has the ability to go off to a level to beat a team like the Pelicans that we just discussed. Um, and so we'll we'll see what what tomorrow looks like. Um, and but that that's again that's just opening the door. Um, because after that, they got 15 more games against high-quality basketball teams. So, um, you know, we talked about 8-8. Eight and eight. Sounds like some other people are talking about 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, And, again, that's just that's just the bare minimum of what we would love to see. Um, obviously, we want to see more wins than 8, but if we can get to 8-8 eight and eight on the other side of this, because after this 16-game stretch, you know, honestly, we do have a couple – um, games where we should we should win, um, and and so if we can if we can get through this eight and eight, and then go on another like you said five six seven game winning streak, um, then we're going to be right back towards the top um, of the West, and and probably still throughout the league. Yeah, you know, as a coach, you, you obviously you want a three and a week, um, but you don't want to be anything less than two and one, which means you got to go get one on the road between New Orleans on tomorrow night and uh, Dallas on Thursday night. Um, and then you got to come back home and you've got to deal with the Indiana Pacers who, you know, if you get caught up in their style of game, if you don't control tempo, if you don't control your shot selection and you don't uh, make sure you get shots, meaning you have to um, get quality shots and you can't turn the ball over, not at least not live ball turnovers. If you're going to turn it over, throw seven rolls into the stands, commit an offensive foul, travel, just don't turn over the ball, eye ball against them and get them going because, you know, they're the number one scoring team in the league right now. And, you know, they're, they're a little bit different than Boston. Boston came in the number one scoring team when they came in the target center, but Boston, you was doing it on veteran. You know, we've been here before. We're one of the better teams in the league. Indiana's one of them teams that, you know, their style is their style. And if you get caught up in their style, they can hang 130 on you, 140 on you in a hurry. So the Wolves have to be extremely disciplined in the target center to win that game. And so you're just hoping for a two-in-one week to start this stretch. And uh, we're definitely, you know, I'm already excited to to watch the games and be back here next Sunday to talk about them because we're definitely going to have a lot to talk about either way. Um, and so, you know, this this week we had the Spurs and the Grizzlies, which at this point in the year, um, yes, everyone's in the NBA, but, you know, I'm comfortable in saying those are games that we must win and are supposed to win. Um, and so this these next three games aren't quite the same. And so we'll definitely have a lot to dissect and talk about. So make sure you come back uh, next week on Monday and uh, take a listen to what it is that we that we've seen over this next week. Um, let's let's go ahead and uh, end this this podcast here with our concerning trends and hope it never ends. All right. Um, last week, <laughs> um, 
going to be honest with you, I did not write down what my hope it never ends or concerning trans were. And so um, hopefully you might have an idea of, of what we said. Yep. Yours were uh, turnovers, rebounds, and Shake Milton. Those were your concerning trends. Okay. And your hope it never ends were the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't remember what your other two were, bro. <laughs> well, you did. Hey, hey, that's um, hey, I got four I, out of six. I appreciate you. I'm, I'm keeping a buck. That's more than I had because I had zero. But <laughs> <laughs> out of my, out of my, uh, concerning trends, I'll tell you that, um, because I honestly, I don't have the stats because I didn't, you know, I, I fell short in this, in this segment here. But, um, Shake Milton, uh, sounds to me like, he at least curved uh, my concerning trend by the game against the Grizzlies. Um, I'm 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 very glad to see how he was playing. You know, as a as someone who played basketball, just seeing him, his shot was different. His shot was 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 decisive. Yes, it was decisive. Um, it, like you said, it had arc underneath it, and. It, what I was in the word I was looking for was confident. His shot was confident. His shot was like, I do this. I know I can make this. I'm putting it up and it's going in the basket and we're going to do this on repeat. Um, so rebounding, do you know um, what their stats were over the past two games? Yes, actually I do. Okay. Uh, uh, they gave up 13 offensive rebounds against San Antonio, but they won the overall rebounding battle 55 to 49. They also grabbed 11 offensive rebounds themselves. And we talked about how ugly that game was. So that game's kind of an outlier in a lot of ways. Two teams mm-hmm. off a long rest and they looked like it. Um, and then they bludgeoned Memphis on the boards. They won the yep. battle 54 to 28. They had 15 offensive rebounds to Memphis's eight. Um, and so they, they bludgeoned them. Um, on the boards and then um, you know the turnover numbers um, were I'd say one to three too high for me they had 13 turnovers against uh, Memphis and I believe 11 turnovers against San Antonio Um, but that number's coming down Um, we haven't seen the 17s and the 18s lately Um, and so that number is starting to come down and then out of those turnovers one of the things I had to consider um when uh, those turnover numbers is when they're in the 17 and 18 turnover range, that's one that's just too many for any professional basketball team. But two, a lot of those turnovers were live ball turnovers, and they're the kind that fuel fast breaks and runouts. You get a team getting wide open threes and transition dunks and stuff. Um, and, and um, you know, out of their 13 and 11, the last two games, I think that you got to consider, you know, between Cat and Rudy and probably Nas. I bet a combined out of those, you know, two game stretch of 24 turnovers, I'm willing to bet that six of those were offensive fouls on screens or charges, offensive foul turnovers. And so there's, those are not live ball turnovers. Obviously, you don't want any turnovers when you can help it, but there's a big difference between a live ball turnover and a dead ball turnover. And when the Wolves are only committed, you know, when the Wolves are in the 13, 14 turnover range, but four of those, are dead ball turnovers so really the live ball turnovers is in the seven eight nine range that's dare i say acceptable you know and so if you got 13 turnovers in a game but out of those 13 turnovers four of them are offensive fouls either on screens or charges between cat 
and Rudy and Nas. So mm-hmm. if you committed nine live ball turnovers, you, you can manage that. You can win that way. You know, right. um, especially um, and the Timberwolves don't create a heck of a lot of turnovers, but they do block some shots, which are also fast break starters. They all cause, you know, I think uh, Rudy's uh, causing the lowest shooting percentage at the rim out of any player in the league. And as you very well know, missed layups and missed shots at the rim are also fast break starters. And so even though they're not turning teams over at a really high rate, they are doing things with their defense that um, start fast breaks and that start transition game. You know, <clears throat> had uh, eight block shots against Memphis. Those start fast breaks. You know? and, and, and I'm looking up the Spurs number real quick. They had um, – like that a number of blocks against the Spurs they had 10 block shots against the Spurs so you know two games 18 block shots uh if even though they only caused 11 turnovers against the Spurs um and against the Grizzlies uh they caused 18 blocks and nine turnovers but those block shots are fast break starters just as much as anything else right okay so those are my three concerning trends um do you recall yours Yes, mine were the turnovers as well, um, and we already talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Conley's minutes, and I kind of put an asterisk around that, and I'm still a little worried about that. He actually left the game and went back to the locker room against Memphis before coming back and, and having mm-hmm. a bridge to that game. Um, and the other one was, oh, the fouling. And they've kind of gotten that back under control. Now, granted, they played two bad teams. But um, they were following a little bit too much, um, and they got that back under control against those bad teams um, in terms of um, the free throws that they were giving up. Um, they shot uh, ni- uh, uh, 26 free throws against Memphis to Memphis's 19, and then against the Spurs, they shot uh, 21 free throws to the Spurs 15. So that's an acceptable number. Um, and they kind of got, and those are that, those are the reasons they beat those bad teams. They they cleaned up those things because if you don't clean up those things, that's how bad teams sneak up and get a W against you. But right. by being professional by being disciplined, um, by not doing the things that beat yourself, they're able to go ahead and win two games against subpar teams and not and, and avoid the upset bug. So, um, big ups to them for handling the concerning trends aspect of it. Okay, so now the hope it never ends. I talked about the record. Um, I think when I originally said that, we were at 75%. The Wolves right now are at... I I think you're on pace to win like 67, 68 games right now. So, you know, they're... I mean, they're 17 to 4. Right. So they, they are winning, you know... They are at 77 percent yeah so so it's it's con- it's continuing and uh I can't be mad at it so I'm just gonna say that for the rest of the year and uh <laughs> for all the superstitious people out there I'm not gonna leave you hanging I'm gonna say 75 percent every single time we do this until we fall below <laughs> yeah I think one of your hoping never ends was cat in the way that he was playing yeah uh, and so uh, big ups to Cat for kind of, you know, uh, continuing to do what he's doing. Um, and I don't remember what your third one was, man. I don't remember. I, I remember mine. I don't remember what yours was. You don't need to. Give me yours. 
<laughs> well, one of mine was definitely the vibes. Um, mine was also the, the the record, the winning percentage. Uh, the vibes, the vibe around Target Center uh, was definitely one of my hope it never ends. Um, I, I believe now I'm trying to remember what my other one was because I was agreeing with you on the winning, um, the vibes around Target Center, um, and 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 also and that was a three three A because three B was also the Coach and the Culture podcast being correct um, with our predictions uh, uh, coming into the season about Wolves, um, you know, really being one of the upper teams in the West because of the continuity factor and because of the familiarity factor. Um, and I don't remember what my third one was, to be honest with you, uh, without going back and listening to the podcast, but whatever it was, I hope it never ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, real quick, I just actually did the math on that winning percentage. It's actually 80%. Yeah. The Wolves are winning at an 80% clip. So, let's yeah, it's not sustainable, but it is lovely to see right now, 2021. Right. And, you know, we are literally one-fourth of the way through the NBA regular season, uh-huh. and we are hoping that the Wolves are at the top of the NBA rankings when we get to two-fourths. That is one-half of the way through the regular season. Uh, and it'll be curious to see uh, once the All-Star break, you know, come, or the uh, trade deadline starts to come around, It'll be really interesting to see come, you know, January um, what happens in terms of what they feel like they need to do or don't need to do to tweak their roster. I'm calling it right now. The Wolves aren't doing anything. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, How can you? I think, a lot uh, of that depends no. on, I think a lot of that depends on Shake Milton, to be honest with you. And, and I, I mean, it right now, Nikhil Alexander Walker's handling the backup point guard duties admirably. Um, Shake Milton's got to get it rolling, and we talked about that. You know, we both think that he's gonna kind of, you know, start to take off a little bit here. But Jmac coming back, the second point guard. Jmac's coming back. Is back. He is back. But do you really want him to be your second point guard going into the playoffs? Um, I I would say that if you're going into the playoffs, you're not you're not going to be playing a whole lot of second point guard. Um, you're going to be doing a little bit of what they're doing now. Um, and I, I personally, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it. The wolves aren't making any trades that affect their core eight, nine players. Now, if they send someone that's not go ahead, Would you do Kyle Anderson and maybe a Josh Minot for Tyus Jones? Yes. Okay. So as I was saying, It'll be I, curious to see what they do on the train tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh, I like Kyle Anderson, and I, 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 I think that honestly, I think he's a safety blanket for them. Um, and so, as hey, much man. as what how many did Tyus give y'all? Not enough. <laughs> no, no. How, how many did he give y'all when you? When you had- yeah, like 30, 31 and fifteen. He was nothing crazy. <laughs> Thirty and fifteen, nothing crazy. <laughs> no. Um, but no, we we will see. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we've got. We made it through our list of talking points tonight. Um, had some good conversation. Hopefully, gave some more insight and some more uh, coaching perspective, as well as uh, me chiming in and um, giving you some players' advice. And um, we'll be what next week. Next week on Sunday, after these three games, we'll be able to recap and 
and see how the world is managed. Next week, we will be on video. I'm going to get my hair done, get my beard trimmed up, and throw on my Sunday best clothes. I'm still going to look better than you. Yeah, well, you should. You're a lot younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tablespoon. You're the teaspoon. Mm-hmm. And on that note, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Coach in the Culture podcast. For Lance Gardner and the super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop. And a big shout out to Markella over at the Dream Shop where we record live video every other Sunday, 3701 Fremont. Um, she's been sponsoring, sponsoring us with a place to do our video every other Sunday. And so if you have not done so yet, please go to YouTube, punch in the coach and the culture in your search and check out our um, video from last week. And you can decide for yourself who the better looking one is, the father or the son. Uh, <laughs> And we're gonna we're gonna be keeping a watchful eye on how the Timberwolves handle this week and be ready to talk about it next Sunday. So tune in, check us out, the Coach and the Culture Podcast. Thank y'all. Peace. Peace.